0: Two Counties 32 Questions My name is Una My name is Andrea And this is United Ireland
1: Can I just do a little like asterisk there that Yes, okay, fine We did say 32 Counties, 32 Questions And we're on episode 40 with a few bonuses in there But we are going to finish our counties in the next few weeks
0: Yes, this uh, week's county Westmeath And this week's question Why is Westmeath flooding and what are we going to do about it? Thank you so much for all of your Patreon support. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. We're getting record listenership, record support, <laughs> beating all of our made up goals. Um, if APIs li- through the roof. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you have not yet given us around less than, I think it's less than three euro a month on our Patreon. please month, like it's not even a week. I know. Yeah, brill. So please do that and help us keep going. Um, but first, the ongoing general election 2020 purgatory. Building <laughs> <laughs> um, really to report this week? <laughs> well, there is. Well, okay, so Leah Vracher wrote an article in the Sunday Independent that was a bit like, whoa, um, because obviously attacking Sinn Fein has gone really well. Give us the top length, I couldn't get into it. Basically, questioning um, Sinn Fein's finances, saying that they should be kind of looked into, saying that some of the politicians, quote, appear to live way beyond their means. Little Charlie Height throwback there. Um, and talking about their fundraising in North America, um, you know, saying, you know, Sinn Fein's public representatives claim to earn only the average industrial wage, that their salaries are not returned to taxpayers' donated to the party. Um, basically, just giving, talking about like that they're, that Finnegan and Sinn Fein be incompatible in government, that they refuse to recognise Ireland as a legitimate sovereign state, you know, just basically going all out. Um, you know, I've been. Mary thinking, Lou had a pop back at it. Uh, she did, yeah. I mean, I think that's, he's also talking about how they were um, responsible for a rise in hate speech online. I'm beginning to think this might be a bit out there but I'm beginning to think that I think there are probably may be emerging questions over Leo Varadkar's future as leader of Fine Gael. <laughs> I didn't think no I'm serious I didn't think this before the election and I didn't think it during it I thought he had quite a good campaign personally apart from the massive screw up at the start with regards to the Paul McCauliffe thing and the, the man who was injured who was homeless Um and then in the immediate aftermath was okay, but this repeated fail tactic um, is is would kind of indicate a lack of imagination or purpose in in terms of defining what the party is. And I wonder if people in Finnegall are going to start questioning, like if slash if if Finnegall goes into opposition, it's like are they are you know is that party really going to have however many months just or years we're time. just talking about Sinn Féin like I mean Fine Gael politicians and mostly Fine Gael politicians Mihol Martin kind of less so but still the same they're just spending all their time talking about Sinn Féin it's like what are you about we know what you're against what are you for anyway that's I'm just thinking about that I'm wondering now is there kind of um Will people start to get a bit uh, within the party? Start to get a bit peeved with that uh, continuous, fe- very uh, focus, which is on Sinn Fein, which is obviously uh, not working at all because Sinn Fein are up again in the polls. In other news, the L Corones <laughs> is um, well, well, I haven't heard anything about it. What is this? <laughs> um, it's a virus. Okay, so we know we know all uh, you know the things that are happening with regards to the coronavirus. Uh, interestingly, there's a lot of stuff around. Basically, I wish everybody would stop talking about um, the virus on social media. And there was a piece that I was reading about how it's the first infodemic and all this like panic and fake news. Talking and all about all. it is the problem. It's the... Bullshitting it about bullshitting it. Bullshitting yeah. and the hype machine around it. Yeah. It's like,
1: and like that people have to come out and say, here are people who will tell you facts and who are trusted as opposed and as opposed to coming out as all these quasi... Experts in viro, virology, etc.
2: Yeah,
0: one of the interesting knock-on effects of the kind of large-scale shutdown of um, industry in parts of China is that air pollution has virtually cleared up um, across, across large. Uh, swades of china because factories have been shut down which you know really is is sad in a way and i was just wondering if we could develop some kind of capitalism that was like six weeks six months on six months off <laughs> um, and so that people could have a quality of life where they weren't being poisoned by the productivity in factories making shit that people don't need in other parts of the world um, something else that happened <laughs> this week, Super Tuesday, because talking about democracy in terms of those kind <laughs> of things is how America works. Yeah,
1: um, we were having a kind of off-air chat. I don't follow American politics. Biden took the polls, took the whatever. He won a bunch he of won states. Loads of yeah. shit. Uh What does that mean in terms of like,
0: is that bad? Him beating Bernie. Okay, I think it depends where you're standing. Like, I think that the fact that we're now talking about the three, essentially, the three contenders—Trump, uh, Sanders, and Biden—are all so Warren's toast. I, I I don't see how she can uh, come, you know, come back from this. She lo- uh, Biden even won her own state of Massachusetts. Massachusetts. I think so. We were talking about like these three figures, like white men in their seventies, um, and that's where American politics is at. Uh, you know, the split between moderates and the Democratic Party. Um, Biden likes to paint himself as very centrist, very moderate. Um, He calls himself an Obama Biden Democrat. It's like you are Joe Biden. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then you have Sanders, who's obviously, you know, uh, splitting the nation. Well, no, he's not. I mean, he's just not a a, a Democrat. Really, you know, he's kind of more independent, much more getting liberal and progressive and younger voters um, he has and a, black voters no the Biden has a higher support among African Americans yeah so basically you you have a situation where it's like do we uh, choose somebody who could potentially uh, re, you know change the Democratic Party as an entity which is obviously you know on its knees for the past four years or do we go for somebody that is more of the like the norm core establishment type thing and um, I I just don't see any of these candidates beating Trump, and uh, but I think that the one the candidate who co- who is in the mix who could energize uh, and expand uh, a new base of voters is Bernie Sanders, and um, Trump is just going to. If Biden gets the nominee, which he could very well do, people I mean, people are going to feel the Democratic Party are going to feel defeated. Well, not I defeated, just, but like they're not going to be brought forward in inspirational. Well, way. I just don't see how he's a compelling candidate. Like, I just don't see it, and you're just going to have Donald Trump shouting at him, being senile, and then winning. I, like, I mean, I I, I think that it's um, a really sorry situation, and when, when when you know a lot of Democratic comment or party surrogates or condi- or commentators or whatever are talking about this electability thing. I and, mean, you know, Biden's more electable. It's like, Donald Trump is your president. <laughs> uh, electability is a myth. You know, so, anyway, going forward, he won Super Tuesday. He won about, 10, he won about 10 states. So, so what's next? So the primaries will kind of continue, like different states will be voting, and then they'll all kind of come together in their big uh, convention and pick... Um, pick a nominee I think it would be pretty smart at this point if Sanders announced uh, Warren as his running mate that might be a way to soak up uh, some support but um, yeah it's all a bit fucked to be honest Um, Final bit of news this week that I want
1: to put in Sinead Jones um, who described herself as a conscientious protector of the environment went on trial for cutting down 250 Sitka spruce trees with a chainsaw and replaced them with native trees and boss she she is an absolute boss now obviously we don't condemn uh, or encourage um, cutting down quilter forests however the statement
0: speak for yourself (laughs) Andrea
1: the statement she made and the court did say I don't want you to use the courts as a political platform but obviously it did but uh, go on Sinead
0: so Westmeath County Facts,
1: Andrea, hit me. Population, 88,770. It is re- known as the Lake County, which is... Where is the other Lake Counties? Como in Italy. And the other Lake County I in England. In England has a Lake County. Lake District. Yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> it originally formed part of the historic kingdom of Mead. And it was named Mead because the kingdom was located in the geographical centre of Ireland. So I would... I would I'm going to hedge my bets and say that Mead means middle. Would you say that's like a good estimation? It's an
0: old Irish word, yeah.
1: Mid. yeah. Uh, ishna Hill is where King Tuathal Chocmar erected his palace in the early second century. And from here, the pagan kings of Ireland ruled for 200 years. You never hear about that, do you? Like 200 years of ruling from Westmead. Who mm-hmm. knew? Um, now, this is where it all gets a bit juicy. In the Norman invasion of Ireland, the territory of the Gaelic Kingdom of Meath formed the basis for the Anglo-Norman Lordship of Meath, who granted, uh, by King Henry II of England, Hugh de Lacey this land in uh, 1172. And unfortunately, uh, we could say there may have been a problem with de Lacy's sperm because he had no male hairs. <laughs>
0: Speculation. <laughs> Pure speculation. speculation. So,
1: the lordship was split. Well, maybe not a problem, a blessing, because he had two great-granddaughters and the lordship was split between the two of them. One got the central-eastern portion and that went to Maud de Gro- de Jeanville. jean that's very French um, as the Liberty of Trim and the other part which was the North East and Western portions went to Maud's sister Marjorie de Verdun there's definitely a very um, they're Normans well there you go there's definitely a French influence <laughs> QED um, and in 1297 it was the Royal County of Mead um, the Liberty and Royal County was merged in 1461 and while the Uh, east of the county was in the English Pale the west was Gaelicised in the 14th century and outside the control of the Sheriff of Meath Mm. Um, and as a part of the better administration of the newly established Kingdom of Ireland the Parliament of Ireland passed the Counties of Meath and West Meath Act in 1543 so yeah that's where the division comes from
0: It's so interesting when you look back over all this like you know slicing and dicing bits of Ireland and then we consider how like you know making a new Ireland that's the entire island, island of it's such Ireland, a big deal. It's, and it's like, but your countries change and borders go up and go down all the time. Yeah, because borders so mean
1: nothing. Yes. If you go to space and look back, can you see a border?
0: Absolutely can not. You, no, you can't.
1: <laughs> the largest—that's t- my philosophy for the weekend. Uh, the largest town is Athlone, and Mullingar is number two. This is brilliant for the week. That's in it. Fifty-one point nine percent of Westmeath homes have an Irish speaker. Um, and shout out to Shockton Ngwelga, which kicked off on the 1st of March till the 17th, actually, which is obviously longer than a week. Um, if I was a good translator of Irish, it does mean week of Irish, but there you go, it's longer. Uh, Westmeath is home to Joe Dolan, singer, Niall Horan of One Direction, now single, not single, solo, solo. singer, uh, Robbie Henshaw, rugby player, Michael O'Leary, Boo. Controversial. He's in a bit of trouble at the moment.
0: It gives me a pain in my face, Michael O'Leary does. Anyway, go on. Uh,
1: Walter Raleigh. Now, he's not from Westmeath, but he did spend a lot of time in Kaluwa Castle. And he was one of the main suppressors of rebellion in Ireland, which obviously is a big issue. However, he brought the potato to Ireland the best thing that's ever happened. I've been testing the hypotheses that you can actually live on potatoes and butter and um, with my roast potatoes. Legendary roast potatoes. They're delicious. You've so never
0: made me roast potatoes. Oh my God,
1: I'll make you some. Okay. We've still got that bottle of Prosecco to drink. And we've rewards to be going out next week. Woo-hoo. stand by <laughs> um, and then finally they were all men the only woman I could find Peg Plunkett absolute ledge bag and she was the founder of one of the greatest brothels in Dublin <laughs>
0: <laughs> twist at the end of that sentence I did not expect <laughs> no that.
1: I swear to God she was uh, she was an absolute boss and I think you should all go and read her history Peg Plunkett she has autobiographies and everything about her um, yeah she's a bit of a ledge and I think that goes back to sex work being work again and how long it's been an industry and why we can't get to the bottom of it. But that's, an, that's another episode that we've done before. Go back and listen.
0: Next up, our special Westmead guest. Nile Brezzy Breslin. Um, the King of Westmeath I believe is your official title Uh, you're in studio to tell us everything that you love and loathe about your birthplace your home county um, the cornerstone of your heart. Mm-hmm. The uh, birth of the blizzards. Mm-hmm. Yes, all of these things.
3: I give birth to them.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you can understand what yeah. us as women go through.
3: Yeah, it's not nice. <laughs> it's not nice. Um,
0: <laughs> tell us about your Westmead childhood. How much of a role did place play in you're growing up
3: uh, I was actually born in Dublin and born in Blanchestown my dad's stop the, the podcast no, wait, wait, <laughs> wait 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 but I before I could talk I was dragged to Mullingar so it definitely <laughs> dictated my personality good bad or indifferent uh, Mullingar growing up in Westmeath um, I always believed that who you're around and where you're from dictates so much about your psychology and your personality uh, as you get old older um, and I think Mullingar certainly did and my friends at the time certainly did Um, but the thing about it was, it was it was always an army town where I'm from, me because that's where my dad was, and it was always that was your that was the hub of the whole town, and then they closed Explain the. Playing the
1: army town bit. There
3: was a massive barracks there. Okay. so it wasn't like it was not like those lads walking the streets with <laughs> some so machine guns and we don't even have guns in the army but it was it was a huge headquarters for the army so that was the buzz in the, the Irish Canada. army yeah yeah it was one of the bigger bigger. what, big, well, what do you think?
1: I don't know anything about well, army life Shannon's guys. a big
3: old spot for the American army so yeah I get what you're saying um, But yeah, I
1: didn't even know we had an army there Grant
3: no, that, no, that's that's insulting my father now who's, who, who spent much of my life overseas we were one of the most respected peacekeeping forces okay. in the world because we were colonialised so all the lads go to like well they were kind of like us so all the kind of countries around the world they like the Irish as UN peacekeepers
1: sound so, army yeah beers. we're
3: sound we, we're literally there for, but my dad spent most of my life overseas so people don't don't think of that and that actually had a big impact on your childhood as well because mm. it's your mother bringing you up and my three sisters mm. and my fo- my brother got out of Dodge he went to he went to Scotland my mum's from Scotland so she went he went to Scotland as soon as he could <laughs> he was allowed and he went to study there so I was my three sisters my mother bringing me up so they had a huge influence on me as well my personality and growing up but the town is has and always will be a music town there's there's always been a huge hub of music there and, and that's something I remember very vividly growing up my mum's a music teacher she used to she used to put on these kind of amazing plays uh, not, she was one of the people who put it on but in the county hall and the arts and I used to go to see it and that's when I first got obsessed with music was seeing because it was a live orchestra playing with the with the and my brother was in the band and so yeah, for me, growing up there, then the school, it was a very much a religious town as well. Because like, you know, all the schools were Christian brother schools and nun schools And, you know, I don't have to get into that. It was, you know, that's how you were brought up. Mm. You know, that's the Irish childhood. Um, but I do remember my... my
1: so was it like, re- like you've got army vibes, Catholic church vibes? Was it really regimented?
3: No, my dad was like, everyone expected my dad to be quite strict. But he's actually an incredibly liberal open minded but like do whatever you want, which was the worst thing you could have said to me because I actually did. And I started doing everything and anything, as my mum used to say it. My career if she's asked what my career was, it's like throw as much shit at the wall and see what sticks. <laughs> which is a really great way to live your life. But um, luckily I don't have any responsibilities where I can live like that. I don't have kids, um, I don't think um, I'm still waiting for thirteen year old six foot six lad to knock on my door. But yeah, Mulangar I adore. I'm very proud of it and I can't really tell you why. And Westmead and the thing I love most about Westmead is the ma- amazing parts of West Pe- Mead not a lot of people know about. What and are they? Like the I- Hill Ishnach. It's one of the most incredible places in Ireland. It's the, Where the, where the, the high,
1: kings are. the kings of Wales. Ireland, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
3: And every, there's festival of fires every year. And this place is a very special place that is c- relatively untouched. You know, When you look at Newgrange and you look at all these kind of incredible places that are heavily touristy led and, you know, poor Faultier, rightly so, went like, this is a great way to sell this area. But Ishnach is something different. It's something different. There's something really special there. And I can't, like my best mates, my old actually manager, Moff, who's one of my closest friends, I'm godfather to his children. And Marty Mulligan, who's a really well-known Westmead man. Um, he's a poet, he's a slam poet. They do these tours there. And I went, ah, I'll give it a shot. I'll go for the tour. And I about, And I went for the tour and my mouth dropped open for two hours. Just the stuff they were coming out coming out about this place and years and years ago without getting into it too much the merchants used to come from all over the world and they used to light these massive fires because Westmead is so flat you could see the fires from the coastline on a clear day so they'd light all these fires and the merchants would know that's where to go and they used to be one of the biggest merchant cities in, the, in, in Europe on this hill wow. and they'd all just travel to the fires and the High Kings of Ireland were there and it's just incredible and all the histories are so for me
1: Which is kind of unusual for a centre of the country town
3: yeah, well, we can we, we, okay. see, well, you know, with Westmead, there's a huge uh, history there, but the history is really subtle. And I love that about mm. it. It's not like in your face, you know, it's really, really subtle. There's a huge history around, even around uh, independence and around even the war in, in 1916. There's loads of these really subtle things. And there's a woman there. And if you ever have a chance, Ruth Ellingworth's her name and she's a historian. And if you ever have a chance to get her on this podcast, never mind Westmead, you've never heard a woman speak with such authority and understanding, clarity of how a town or an area was so influential on the rest of the country. Mm. So she does these tours and it's incredible because she brings in everything from the High Kings of Ireland then to uh, landowners to, to you know the repression, colonialism, and she just merged into this incredible story. Um, and I only in recent years have become incredibly interested in the history of Westmeath and what, what exists there. And over the last couple of years, I started to get into cycling. And one of the reasons I love cycling is because I now know every inch of that that county. I've cycled every road of that county. I sound like, a, like an old man, but I literally have cycled every road of that county. I know every bit of it. I know every story. Uh, and we looked for those stories. So Westmead is a really beautifully subtle place.
0: You know, it's really interesting that you're saying that word subtle because it does feel like a kind of a low-key vibe in the county. You don't hear the type of um, bragging or <laughs> like that you hear from the likes of Dublin or Cork or Galway or, you know, yeah. Donegal or lots of places like that. What do you think are the characteristics of Westmead people? Do you, I know that's kind of a very, you know big general thing, you yeah. can't tire anyone's same brush, but are there any particular personality quirks that you notice if you chat to someone or you meet someone and you click with them because you know they're brethren of the county?
3: The accent. Mm. It's always a big part and the Westmead accent I remember talking to a couple of guys with impersonations they go we can never do the Westmead accent I was like why it's because it's just it's a nothing accent I mean, <laughs> what do you mean it's so flat it's so flat and it's and my favourite part of Westmead is the accent and I always can hear it and I love it because it's we don't expect anything from it. We don't try to put it on. It's not like, you know, if somebody's from Cork, they actually sometimes really, they get mm. quite almost theatrical with their accents when they're speaking to people. We're in Mullingar, Westmead. I keep saying Mullingar, but that's obviously where I'm from. But what I love about it is, and a couple, about two years ago, there was an ad on, uh, on like national radio for Expert Electrical. And it was the most Westmead. It was Expert Electrical. <laughs> and I loved the ad because he, he was screaming it. It was like, if you got somebody, you know the American, the overtop American adverts? It was like that guy who just had too much Red Bull and he's put onto this <laughs> ad and I loved it. And I actually tweeted when they took him off and they put some kind of g- generic voice over on it then, you know, you know, Expert Electrical. And I tweeted about it going, where's the Westmead dude gone? and apparently in Expert Electrical there was they were like wow we should have kept them I knew we should have kept
2: them
3: and I was, <laughs> was like because it, that to me was the, and the accent has this almost always like it's just slightly trying to pull the piss out of you but really cares about you at the same time mm. and it's got that accent and there's different types of Westmead accent there's a really strong one you know there's the, you know the, yo. do you want some salt and vinegar on your chips that's the Westmead Mullingar accent it's really strong and then You've got the kind of Mullingar or Westmead accents that try to be a bit posh and it's just not working for them. (laughs) Um, And then you've kind of my one, which is kind of I've been out of Westmead for so long, like I I went to college in Dublin, moved to London, but still at this point, 100% hand and heart would call Mullingar my home and, and always will. So you know, that's I think the important part.
1: So you obviously adore it, but what would you say are the biggest issues facing the county and how are they being addressed?
3: I think, m- like most issues in Ireland, uh, we, we we have social problems there. We like every county, there's social issues there. You have to remember Westmead; that's pretty big. We have two big towns there, like um, Mullingar and Athlone, are by Irish standards very big towns, twenty five, thirty thousand population. Twenty
1: second so, biggest town. Twenty mm, second. I would have said more. No, twenty second biggest county.
3: Twenty second. Small my facts. county. Big, big, big towns there. Mm. And I always felt with the social population. issues that we have, like every other county, they're the same. Um, you know, our health system is completely <clears throat> defunct. Uh, we have great people in the system, but it's not it's not working. There's also socioeconomic issues. And in Mullingar, one of the things we noticed, which I lo- have to say, when, this will tell you how politics works, you know, when somebody gets selected as a TD from somewhere like Athlone, and they're like someone like Mary O'Rourke, who's an incredible woman who was very passionate about you could straight away see the impact that had because all the commerce would go to where the people were lobbying in the room to get people there and Mullingar didn't get a lot and then they closed the barracks and then we were like oh we're in trouble here we're socially really in trouble here mm. we need to figure out a way of getting people to the town and keep them in the town and so over the last few years there's been this huge move towards equality in, in Ireland which which has been an incredible thing to watch but we still haven't got that real love or to go and look at socio-economic equality. Yeah. Like, where, because it's a tough conversation and not everyone wants to have it and we have just after a recession and there's this whole mood to self-preservation and stuff like that. But in Mullingar we started to do things which I find really, really amazing. That if this kind of, my my age group, which like, you know, late 30s with kids who now realise they want their kids to grow up in a town that has this mm-hmm. stuff. So they're getting really passionate and they're starting to drive these campaigns. We had the FLA this year which is massive. That took... Serious work to get it there. That's going to have a like the coronavirus can feck itself. <laughs> I swear to God, if the people walking around like zombies, that flaw's going ahead. Um, and we we've got we started to get commerce into the town. We started to do events, and and it's been like this week. I was at the Mullingar International Film Festival. Now, saying that coming out of my mouth, you're, you're looking at me going what? <laughs> and it was amazing because when I heard about it, I was like, Are you serious? This guy just went to Hollywood. And he was like. He put a he had a short film about a uh, wood carver and he was like, I want to Noel Mackie. He was like, I want to do a film festival in Longar. and Alfie did and That's there was like, nine hundred people at it. It was sold out. Amazing. And it'll be sold out next year. So towns and, and counties are not made up of they're made up of people like that who got who who care about what they're from mm. and we do as well. I I do as well and I always say like, you know, if there's stuff we can do. Um, I remember one of the things we set up a, a UK well. Justin Mine and Justin Moffat, when the Blizzards, they all set up this new cafe. It's called the Yo Cafe, and now it moved in. It's moved into this incredible thing. We have so many young kids in Mullingar in this cafe, but we start to do these fundraisers called Mullingar Rising to build a recording studio for them in in the in the the, the barracks in Mullingar and we did and so we built the studio we got some really deadly gear and Justin really drove that with a few other Frankie Byrne and a few others and we built the studio and then after putting all the deadly gear into it I, I was saying to that it would be great if we could use it They the <laughs> tried to charge us for it they're like we're running a business here I was like well that's fair, fair play enough. to
0: them so there's yeah. some really great like um, production infrastructure in Westmead right because you've got Grouse Lodge as yeah. well
3: yeah yeah and Grouse is a
0: World a class,
3: special. Yeah, a special. It's, it's, it's <laughs> recording studios aren't necessarily any more about equipment;
2: mm. they're
3: about an energy, how you feel there, how you, how you, how creative you can be there, and what kind what kind of feeling do you get when you walk into it? And like Grouse Lodge has that in a world that it, we're utterly distracted by all the time, and distraction is becoming our biggest nemesis. Really, whatever industry you're in, especially creative. Um, we, we get pulled away, our attention gets pulled in 50 different directions, in Grouse Lodge that doesn't happen and all of a sudden you realise that creativity is far more profound when you can focus and you can get into a flow and you can work with people and that's why it works there and Paddy is an absolute, like, <laughs> he, you need to experience him to believe him, he's an incredible, he's a, he's a parody of himself, I love him.
1: How, uh, do, they, how do they cut off the distraction?
3: well Wi-Fi it's just in up. such like I mean Real it is numbers. in the middle of nowhere it's in, yeah. in uh, beside Rosemount and Westmeath I mean it is miles and miles and miles of just like like empty fields and it's I mean the internet's not well you had the internet there but you, you, there's just there's just uh, you don't want to be distracted there that's the more of the thing you don't want to be you just you feel it different. you feel it you can't hear anything you know, that kind of way.
0: Do you think that's a common energy within the place where you're from as well? Like, that it is a kind of a grounding place? Maybe because of the history, maybe because of the energy coming from the ground or whatever. Mm. Maybe because of the creative vibes flowing around. Yeah,
3: I do. I always, I always have, I always believe where you're from. I went home last night uh, just, like, just to see my parents and I can feel it the minute I get in. I can feel it the minute I get to the town because what happens then is things that you would have experienced when you're growing up I'm very lucky that most of the things I experienced were very positive things, and when I get to the town, I can feel them. And then, the idea of I've, my two or three closest friends are still in Malangar, and I like ring them. And only up to this point, most of my conversations with them are obviously on the phone, or a text, or WhatsApp. And just being able to go, I'm actually calling around to you, that different, and it brings everything back. And there was one story of I remember I wrote about it in Us for Life, and it really kind of made me realize how much I love where I'm from. One of my really close friends, Owen, when I was growing up, and he really dictated my personality. He, like, he was out, he was a different world, different breed, and one of the funniest men I've ever met. But he got very sick, and like we were told, he, like, I was told on many occasions he wasn't going to survive, and he had, uh, like, very, very serious cancer. And it, me and Owen had a very strained relationship towards, you know, because we were both kind of so... I don't know the best way to describe it we both went in completely different paths um, and neither of them were right in many ways uh, and so our, our relationship was broke down mm. and then when he got sick obviously and then his dad passed away I was kind of like like nothing should matter like this type of stuff I have no matter what any of us ever done in the past it doesn't matter you've got to go back to the person so I went back to Owen and I reconnected with him and in that moment, literally, my whole childhood comes back, and you kind of realise that, like, we all we all are really just innocent, kind of senses of self trying to navigate the chaos of this world. And I kind of mean, nothing matters when you have a friend like that. And you know, you know, nothing he ever did. And I remember I'm saying to him, "There's nothing you could have ever done in the past that I would judge you more than I respect you now for what you've got through and how you got through it." And, and now he's a yoga master. Like this guy, he basically decided, "I'm not going to die." He believed he wouldn't die. His mind is, he started to meditate. He started to get into cold water every day. He just was so inspiring to watch it. And he is what I think of when I think of my childhood in Westmeath. So it's funny how we grow apart very quickly. And I always say that to people, no matter where you're from, there's always four or five people that you have to hold on to. Mm,
0: And And places about people, really thanks so much for that that's beautiful and I know a lot more about the Westmead vibe now than I did at the start of this conversation I oh, never mind the entertainment
3: <laughs> stuff. get down there lads It's yeah. some crack <laughs> there's like and there's great pubs great places where's to the go? number one but place to stay in, in Mullingar yeah oh just Mullingar
2: just, <laughs> just, just Bredson does a, does a, an
3: absolutely deadly uh, if you, friend, friends re- mate uh, a but there's loads of places in Mullingar there's loads of pubs John Daly's a great spot Deck and the Blizzard owns it um, I mean it's just a good but Athlone's a deadly spot as well like you've got Wineport Lodge you've got all these places you've got you know it, the, whole, the whole what I will say to you if you're interested in subtle history that it will blow your mind subtle's haven't.
1: never been a word associated mm. no, with we, me, or me to be honest but, so, <laughs> maybe I'll give it a go
3: <laughs> you're more than welcome to come down and give a subtle history in, in well it doesn't mean you need to be subtle so, so yeah I, I, I would massively advocate it and then we got brilliant roads as well
0: excellent <laughs> thank you on that note thanks so much yep, Westmead the boo
3: yup Westmead
0: So in recent days and weeks, um, there has been wide scale flooding in the centre of Ireland <clears throat> um, and it's caused chaos. Basically, thousands of acres of farmland have been submerged in and around the River Shannon, particularly Clare, Offaly, uh, parts of Galway, Leitrim, Longford and of course, West Meath. Dozens of roads have been closed. Uh, parts of the train line between Limerick and Ennis was flooded. And if anyone has seen that Mad drone footage of farmland being flooded in the area it's kind of astonishing the damage that's been caused so that's what we're going to be talking about this week why is Westmeath flooding and what can we do about it there are many areas in Ireland susceptible to flooding but Westmeath is really up there especially places such as Golden Island and Athlone due to its proximity to the River Shannon and its kind of low lying in general The Shannon Callows, that's the area of land, uh, a flat land kind of on the shore of the Shannon. And when that floods, the floods cover farmland, destroys turf, uh, floods houses, football pitches, birds nests are drowned and so on. So there were two really devastating floods um, in recent years, November 2009 and then over December 2015 into January 2016. And a flood defence plan was developed for Athlone um, ten walls spanning over a kilometre, embankments, six floodgates, four raised roads. And that work is being done by the Westmead County Council and the OPW. It started in November uh, 2017. It's still underway. The flooding in athlone is complicated by this combined sewage system, which is quite common in Ireland where the sewage pipes also collect uh, water runoff. Um, so this can include kind of flood water from the Shannon when there's been very high rainfall, and as a result, raw sewage is pumped into the Shannon and the Athlone Canal at 19 locations when there is heavy rainfall. This is in breach of European directives, and the European Commission successfully prosecuted Ireland on this matter um, very recently. Uh, so in Ireland, we talk a lot about flood defence, but less so about flood prevention. Uh, So flood flood prevention, like practical stuff, not building on floodplains, there's an idea. Maintaining rivers and canals better, building less so you're not concreting over green areas that naturally can soak up water, re-wetting bogs, fixing the sewage system, which is only going to come under more pressure as uh, the climate emergency increases rainfall. Um, And more broadly, like rising water is a facet of the climate emergency worldwide and increasingly with higher rainfall, it increases flooding, coastal erosion, um, moving high and dry will become a privilege um, and a necessity. Here's some global flooding facts to zoom out a little bit. Sea levels rise at 3.2 millimetres every year. About half of the rising sea levels can be attributed to thermal expansion. So that's basically the ocean absorbs all the kind of greenhouse gas heat, and water expands as it heats. So oceans are basically occupying more space. Glaciers melting earlier and more uh, also contributes to rising sea levels, as well as the destabilization of ice sheets in Greenland and Antarctica. Um, one of my favorite bananas stats about how this is impacting are land, huh? That's about bananas. It's not, not a, <laughs> it's not a stat about bananas, but it is um, a bananas stat. <laughs> uh, so in, uh, it's about kind of New Orleans and, and Louisiana. So obviously, you know, New Orleans, we know it's very low lying, uh, still recovering from Hurricane Katrina in many ways. Looking to the future, Louisiana currently loses an American football field size of land to rising water every hour and a half. Uh, incredible. Um, but back in Ireland... That is bananas. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, if back in Ireland... So, like uh, basically what I'm trying to say is that this, the, there are crisis scenarios mm. around um, water flooding and rising water worldwide. Back in Ireland, if you think it's raining more often and heavier, movie rain, I like to call it, uh, you would be correct. The decade between 2006 and 2015 was the wettest 10-year period in 300 years in Ireland. The cause? Human-driven climate change. Ireland now has one of the longest continuous records of rainfall in the world, according to a study published in the Climate of the Past journal in 2018. And it's a big increase. So our average rainfall over 300 years was 1,080 millimetres a year. Um, But that most recent decade saw that increase to 1,990 millimetres a year, which is almost double what the country has been used to in centuries past. In the three weeks of February this year, eight inches of rain fell along the River Shannon Basin. So that's what we're talking about this week. And let's get some expertise on this issue. So Brandon Henry McGowan is a lecturer in geography at University of Limerick and Mary Immaculate College and a Green Party Executive Committee member. Brandon, thank you for joining us.
4: Thank you very much.
0: What has happened in areas around the Shannon of late and why is the flooding so bad?
4: Right. Well, I mean, when you are looking at water, the key thing you have to consider is just it's simple. It's what goes in has to go out somewhere. So it's an input output thing. Uh, this month, we have had uh, about two to three times the normal amount of rainfall, and all that water just has to go somewhere, you know? Uh, so, like in times past, Uh, That water would have gone into the boglands where plants like sphagnum moss would just soak the water up like a sponge. It would have been soaked up by trees. Uh, It wouldn't have reached the rivers very quickly. But now with land use changes over the past couple of decades and and centuries, uh, there's not as much forestry. The boglands have been used uh, for heat and power. Uh, and uh, have been cut up by Borden mona uh, All that water that's falling on the land is getting much quicker into the rivers and so the when you get a heavy amount of rainfall like we've had this month uh, the river channel just simply can't take that amount of water in it and so it overflows and when we're talking about the Shannon I mean this is a river that's about 280 kilometers in length up to Limerick City it is a catchment area of uh, somewhere in the region of 12,000 square kilometers like that any water that falls on that 12,000 square kilometers in the area is going to drain into the shannon through little mountain streams and smaller tributary rivers and so on so there's a huge amount of of the water that has fallen on ireland over the last month is draining into the river shannon and the channel just simply can't take it at the minute
1: and not to put words into your mouth but have we actually taken away all our natural flood defenses that have been in place for us in the past essentially
4: That is essentially what I'm saying, yeah. I mean, when water falls on the land, uh, you know, it will uh, run off the top of the surface and straight into rivers uh, unless there is something there to slow it down from from doing that. Uh, Like an a
1: lake or something
4: well no I'm thinking like there's, tre- my, you know,
1: there's my high school geography
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how many people mention that uh, as the thing that they remember from junior's or geography but I'm thinking more like trees you know when water falls on a tree rather than the bare ground it falls onto the leaves and twigs and then it goes and trickles down the branches onto the trunk and, and infiltrates down into the soil uh, and then can flow down to be part of the the groundwater uh, when water falls on on a wetland area like a bog it gets soaked up by the plants the water doesn't flow easily through that so it pools and you know well the name wetlands is fairly obvious mm-hmm. right of what they do Uh, and that slows the water from flowing straight over the surface of the land Uh, because uh, we have diminished the amount of wetlands and the amount of forestry over Ireland over the past decades and centuries. We just simply don't have those natural defences built in anymore Uh, and uh, so the water is getting much quicker into the river system.
0: What are the most damaging kinds of you know, landscape changes or infrastructural changes in this area of Ireland that may exacerbate flood damage?
4: Well, some of the changes are just in terms of how water is being handled. I mean, uh, you know, the the, the damage from flooding here isn't all to do with the volume of water, but also uh, what is actually happening with that, what's the system used for it. And in Athlone, for example, uh, there's a big problem there right now in that the drainage system for, you know, runoff water uh, Uh, and the sewage system are the same it's Mm. a a shared system and so in athlone when you get that very high water level uh, the sewage system becomes back up backed up and can't drain and you're getting raw sewage essentially uh, uh, discharged into the floodwaters which you can imagine is not very pleasant for the people living there so there are some changes like that that we could make that would make a big difference probably uh, should we,
1: make <laughs> not just yeah i make. would
4: i would think that would be a, a good one you know athlone would be a great place for angling tourism and so on and and uh, that is, is sort of being wasted uh at the minute because uh you know uh, there's there's just not the facilities uh, in in place for it, uh, but uh, I mean the the biggest changes that we could make would be to plant more trees and restore the boglands. Uh, there are other changes that we have made that can be damaging as well. I mean any urban area uh, is a, a, a bit of a bad idea in terms of flooding because you know no matter about trees being better than grasslands for absorbing water and that urban areas where you have those sort of hard impermeable surfaces or even worse, all the water that falls onto urban areas essentially drains off straight away and, and I think we have to be careful in where we are uh, building areas and then what people do in those areas like just think of back gardens like how many people convert their back gardens into uh, yards or paved surfaces, all of that you know causes the water to drain off over the surface and uh, uh, straight into rivers and so on or back gardens with a couple of trees in them are, are immensely better. Uh, so, I mean, it's not so much that there's one massive, huge thing that we've done wrong. There's lots of tiny things in, in lots of different places. You know what I mean?
1: And when you're talking about hard surfaces, all the kind of flood defense Uh, mechanisms that have been put in by county councils or city councils or whatever around the country seem to be a lot about removing hedge grows and putting in um, hard surfaces for to stop like dam dam effects etc which are all very hard and uh, impermeable so is there an issue with those kind of defences being used?
4: Well, those kind of defences can certainly have a place, you know. Um, I mean, there are places where you have built up areas now and you just simply want to stop the water getting into them. And, you know, they do look awfully ugly in places and sort of speaks to a bigger problem with our planning system. But uh, they they, they can have a place The, I mean, it, it doesn't, solve the problem in its entirety you know it will stop particular houses or whatever getting flooded but it doesn't mean that the water level is going to go down any it just means that the flooding is going to happen somewhere else you know it'll just push the the flooding further downstream along the river uh, so there's a different area is going to suffer from it so that, that's sort of a local solution where you can push flooding from uh, an area that's built up to maybe an area that isn't that can work okay but it's not the sort of thing that you'd want to do everywhere uh, as i said really the only solution uh, to this problem is if we work with nature rather than against it, and, and that means uh, planting a lot more forestry uh, around the Shannon Catchment dairy in particular, uh, re-wetting the bogs. Uh, the, the other uh, thing that, that those do, of course, is you know when water is, is flowing over the land more quickly, when it doesn't have trees and wetlands to, to slow the flow, it's bringing a lot of sediment in with it the quicker the water is flowing the more mud sand and silt it'll pick up as it's flowing and that can end up making the river uh, a bit shallower Uh, and given the content to some of that stuff with you know fertilizers nitrates and phosphate chemicals bits of peat um, you can actually Uh, turn the chemistry of the river a little bit worse and that can be damaging for uh, things like angling as I mentioned before. Uh, I think one of the things that we need to, to look at is who is in charge of the management. I mean there are so many different bodies that have some kind of a role in the shannon so you've got the opw looking at flooding you've got waterways ireland and land fisheries like there's a lot of different bodies that have some responsibility there uh, and i think that we might want to look at having some kind of single overarching body that can coordinate Everything uh, our uh, Green Party Councillor in Athlone Louise Haven, proposed at the council meeting earlier this week that uh, there should be a single body to look at all of this, and uh, so the the council uh, there is writing to the OPw uh, to ask them to to sort of take charge and, and lead this whole situation. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think that that, thinking is I, always
1: a big solution, isn't it? Sorry, say that again? Joined up thinking is always a big solution.
4: Well, that's it. Yeah, I mean, whenever you've got so many little bodies each working on their own little thing and not always knowing what each other is doing, yeah. uh, you know, it, 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 too many cooks spoil the broth. Exactly.
0: Right? Brendan, can I just ask you one thing before you go? Um, uh-huh. What does the future hold for the area around the Shannon if we don't, um, in places like Westmeath, if we don't tackle this now with the solutions you're talking about?
4: That's a really good question. I'd say that we're going to be looking at this happening on a much more frequent basis. I mean, while we've had an above average amount of rainfall this month, you know, considerably above uh, average, we haven't had a single you know outsized event you know we've had a couple of different storms hit us but none of them was particularly extreme you know it's not like we've had some massive once in a century type storm hitting us uh, it's just been a, a sort of slow gradual thing and my fear is that this is uh, the new normal essentially that we might all not always get this amount of rain in a month but we are going to be getting uh, repeated winter storms of this kind dumping a lot of water uh, on the irish landscape over the winter and so flooding like this just will become more frequent more normal i mean the, the studies uh, that have been done like the, the the flooding plans and so on that the opw have looked at the seaframs uh, have shown that there is more flooding now Uh, along the Shannon than there was in decades past. So we have already seen some impact uh, of uh, climate change on that. Uh, But I think that this could get worse and worse unless there is some overarching uh, management starts to be put in place on a coordinated basis.
0: Well hopefully the next government will have some good solutions. More trees, more bogs. More trees, more bogs, solutions that are preventative uh, rather than reactionary. Thanks so much for all of that Brendan, really appreciate it and hopefully um, your part of the world dries out soon. Thank you very much. (laughs) Andrea, what's getting in the sea, apart from rain, runoff? <laughs> Sorry, actual go-go <laughs> gadget snort there.
1: Uh, getting in the sea, I'm going to paint a picture. So get emotional, people. There I am. Now, I am not very good at having emotions a lot. of No, I have emotions, but I'm not very good at showing them. So there I am at a gig. It's a beautiful gig. Murder Capital, shed out. What a stunning gig letting every emotion pass through me and we saw them at other voices and Mm. like we were like in like mouth open agape at the emotions that ran through us standing there watching the show you could hear a pin drop in the auditorium everyone was in deep and one of their especially one of their songs they talk they sing a song about their friend who died by suicide and in the middle of this were these group of saps who were in and out to the bar getting drinks laughing joking chatting whatever so at one stage a guy beside me just went up in front of them to try and bypass them and I was like look lads it's not a talking gig if you want to have a chat go to the bar I was being sent like tears running down my face at this stage and they were like ah hon we all bought our tickets I was like you are fucking assholes like I just don't understand how you can have so little disrespect for what you are at an event for to not Tune in to the music and what everyone is there to tune into by just disregarding what people want and for your own like what you what you're enjoying or whatever and how you can just disregard a whole room of people trying to enjoy gigs. So this week, getting in the sea is absolute saps at gigs talking the whole time when there's music to be enjoyed.
0: I concur with this a lot, very strongly. Um, what are your favorite bits this week? Oh, my favorites
1: are firstly, Grafton Architects who were awarded the 2020 Pritzker Award, which is essentially a Nobel Prize for architecture. Um, and it's the... They're not the first women to win, but they are the first two women to win together um, and the first Irish uh, architects to win. It's a fucking huge deal. It's a huge deal,
0: and they're so amazing. Big up,
1: Shelly and Yvonne. Deadly was. So delighted. Uh, My second thing is uh, there's a feature doc um, called When Women Won which is a feature by Anna Rogers which tells the story of Together for Yes and it is screening on Thursday of this week at 4pm and if you want to get tickets to that go to diff.ie which is part of the Dublin International Film Festival um, and finally also as part of diff um, the ICCL uh, Writes on Film Award is being awarded on Friday and I I've spoken about this before I, I'm just so Blessed to have seen the five films that were in this final and they're still all screening as part of the festival so I would really encourage people to go onto DIFF and have a look around um, at some of the films but also, in particular the ones that were part of the ICCL's Rights on Film which were highlighting human rights in film because obviously um they are using this medium to connect with people's empathy and understanding of different issues and to encourage people to want to go and make a difference. And I know that I came out of each of these films going, oh my God, what can I do? Um, So there was a film called Balloon, Santiago Italia, Herself, Street Leagues which is a brilliant film about football the impact of football on homeless people there's a homeless World Cup it's absolutely brilliant so go and see all these and as part of that Liam Cunningham is getting the inaugural ICCL which is the Irish Council for Civil Liberties Lifetime Contribution Award on Friday Um, so yeah big up film film as I am always corrected fine
0: I'm Irish film um they're very nice five bits. Thank you. Um my five bits this week. Um I went to see A Winged Victory for the Sullen, which is a musical act in the concert hall on Tuesday. You were hanging out in the concert hall a lot these I days. I know, yeah. I just think the programming's really good at the mo Um and has been for a while actually. Uh anyway, it's one of my favourite pianists, um, Dustin O'Halloran, huh. who <laughs> Fuck's sake, Andrea. <laughs> Piano players. (laughs) Anyway, so um, that was a really nice gig. But you know what I did? I was in this particular headspace. I just wanted to kind of listen to the music or whatever. So, and obviously... Luckily, those people from Vicar Street weren't there, steps. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm like, obviously, you're sitting down in the concert hall. And I forced myself to keep sleeping during the gig, so that I would enter like a like a dream state, where I was only like dreaming about the music and the sound, and it worked. So there you go. That it's was. amazing. What you have to do, really, isn't Andrew's it, to clear like, your mind? Andrew's <laughs> looking at me like, "What? Why? Why is this so bonkers to you? You close-minded <laughs>
2: person." So you 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 really enjoyed the gig, but you went to sleep during. No, but no. I was forcing. A it, was, state. it was
0: like, yeah, I was not. I was like going in and out of sleeping mode and waking mode, but I was hearing the music as I was sleeping. I
1: would say it was more a meditative state rather than a sleeping state. So you sort of closed your
2: eyes and let the music sort of drift into the background kind of thing.
0: Yeah, but I was at times like falling asleep. I was so like trancy.
2: Did you snore?
0: No, absolutely not.
2: Okay. How do you know?
0: Because my girlfriend was with me and I said to her
2: If I snore <laughs> give me a dig in the ribs <laughs>
0: Basically yes Okay <laughs> uh, My other bit was also is also music related my other fave bit um, Gemma Dunleavy was one of the acts ak- supporting Mango Mathman on Saturday last Saturday night by the way that Mango Mathman gig was amazing um, so Rebel Phoenix was supporting and also Gemma Dunleavy I haven't seen Gemma play in a little while maybe it's been maybe a year or something and she's just stepped up another level she's just a fucking star like she's so brilliant and as it happens if you live in Dublin or are travelling to Dublin this week she's playing a show upstairs in Whelan's on Thursday evening. And as it uh, also happens, she gets her nails done in chop-up. Oh, so you no. might come across her. There you go. Um, she was fantastic. Uh, so yeah, that those are our fave bits. This podcast, produced by Andrew Mangan, who refuses to sleep at gigs <laughs> like some kind of freak um, at Castaway Media with support from Susie Bennett. And you are delicious, delightful, amazing, stunning Patreon supporters. Patreon.com forward slash United Ireland. Keep that coming. We need to keep this going. Cristal Clearal gave us his tuna chicken roll well for our soundtrack. Sarah Fox did all our design and you can find links to all of our socials on our website com. Please get in touch with us if you have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> we are our DMs are open. Yeah they are. And our inbox overfloweth with your Um, recommendations, comments and support so please keep that coming as well. Andrea, what is the tuna chicken roll? So
1: because we were talking a lot about flooding etc and maybe losing parts of our cities as you highlighted with those football facts of football overflowings I picked a classic. It's Dear Miami by Roisin Murphy.
0: Amaze. I've been Una Mullally. I've been Andrea Horan. This has been United Ireland and that That was Westmead.